Welcome to the HU Movemakers Podcast, where we highlight folks that are blazing the trail and making moves in Howard culture. Hello and welcome to the HU Movemaker Podcast, where we highlight folks that are making moves in Howard culture. I'm your host, Joshua Mercer, School of Business 2003. Today we got a very, very special guest, man. She was the voice of everything DC <laughs> for a minute in the DMV, man. Not just in the DMV, but nationally syndicated, you know what I mean? Media mastermind, PG County, BC. I'm talking about program director, Magna Cum Laude. Man, I mean, DC, Angie, she went from Angie Hill Starks to <laughs> Hill Stark to Angie Ange. Mm-hmm. Man, first woman leading the morning show on a, on a hip hop station. So we talking about a groundbreaking personality. The Morning Hustle, I know y'all heard of that. Mm-hmm. Now she's the director of content for Howard University, WHUT, the television station. And we're not even gonna talk, we're gonna get into her investments. I mean, Miss Toyas is popping out in downtown Silver Spring, get you mm-hmm. some Creole food. No, We're rolling. None of the Angie Ange. Yo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. That was that was a uh, that was a nice intro for somebody in School of B. You you're giving School of C vibes right now, sir. You know, I I took some School of C classes. <laughs> I used to walk down there. I took a speech class or something in the School of C. I don't know what it was. But, okay. But yeah, man. So long overdue. Happy to have you on the show. Finally. Yes, I um I remember when you first started doing it and I would see different people that went to Howard around my time and I would see them in these huge positions now like really making moves and that was really cool cuz either I you know even if I didn't know them personally, you know, at Howard it's like we all kind of know each other. Oh, even yeah. when you don't have the relationship, you know each other and so when you first started doing this and I'm seeing like people from my time at Howard I was there from 2002 to 2006 but to see like where folks are now and people who were like seniors when I was a freshman I'm seeing you interview them I'm like man we are really in position out here and I respect you for doing this podcast because it helps me to see that we're out here that that I need to do a better job of connecting with my own alum but it's just good to see like people's journeys really coming together. So, oh yeah, hundred percent, man. I'm a fan. It's, it's great to have you on here, man. When did when did we? I know we shoot we first meet. I think you hosted a, a party. I don't know what it was that we. It was something for homecoming. It's always oh. been a homecoming thing with us. Was it the boat ride? Did you host the boat ride? Boat ride. So no. So. At first, you wanted me to do the boat ride. I wanted to do the boat ride, but I was like entry level at WPGC. So I had just got, I think I may have just graduated or I was either an intern or I was like a part-timer. And in that, when you're in part-time, you're on call at all times and you're working all the time. So the time you wanted me to do the boat, um, the boat trip, uh, the boat party, I was working And so then we tried to, I think at one point I did like a red carpet. I may have done like a red carpet part or been able to make it to something like that or tried to at one point. Let's talk about this voice of yours, man. This voice is just so, (laughs) so powerful that you have. uh, Mm. 
you know, whenever I hear it, whenever I hear you on the mic, it like it makes everybody just stop. Like, who's that talking? You know what I mean? It's so distinct. Mm-hmm. Was it always like that growing up? Always. Yeah. Always had a very unique voice. I just didn't know what that meant because I think to me it was a regular voice until people would say, what is that voice? Um, So I actually, it's funny, uh, my mom has like, uh, in true black mom fashion, she has all of my documents from birth, you know, so sometimes I'll go through it and there's this one checkup I probably had at like five or six. And the document, the doctor writes, um, child is not sick. Mother says her voice is just like that. (laughs) So I'm assuming since one can remember, I've had um, a unique voice. And I think I got I probably got a little more self-conscious about it as I got older because it's deep. It's a deeper voice for a girl. Um, And in the DMV area, especially, it's funny, it wasn't until I go to Howard and I meet like New York girls or they would ask me, are you from New York or New Jersey? And I noticed they have like similar voices, but like in the DMV, they don't have this type of voice. So it it was always kind of it just stood out. It was always unique, again, always deeper than normal. So I was a little self-conscious. Did you try to like hide it and like change your voice as a kid? Because, you know, you try to fit Mm. short. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it was what it was. I think um, I never really felt like I got teased about it, but it was just different. I The funny thing is I, I hated to hear it on playback. So I never could really hear my voice until if I recorded it and I heard it back and I was like mortified. Like, why do I sound like that? So, But when, no one made me feel bad. Like, yo, you need to go on the radio. You need to do this or be a public speaker or something like yeah. that. You got that you got that all the time? That happened um junior year, like around my junior, senior year, because I started hosting a lot of stuff at in high school. So when I was hosting what's inter, I would host like gospel concert. I would host anything because it was just fun. I really liked hosting in high school. And so I remember I was doing gospel concerts. Um, and but I made it fun. And parents would come up to me. And so when parents started saying, you should do radio, they say, you have a voice for radio. I had no idea what that meant. And they were like, you should do radio. But at the time, you know, this is when Teen Summit is hot. So I'm looking at Ananda Lewis. I'm like, I'm going to be on BET, you know, or I was watching TRL. I'm going to be, I'm, that was, I thought I wanted to do television, but then here in DC, it was always Big Tigger. So I grew up listening to Big Tigger. Um, and I always wanted to be like him. So I knew I was going to do radio or television, but I really didn't know the power of the voice. I, I had no idea how important that was or just how good, like a you think your deep voice is bad, but on a microphone, it's actually really good. You know, um, it works well on a microphone. So, yeah, as I got older, I started to get that more. It went from like, oh, that's a different type of voice. Or are you sick? It usually was like, are is she sick? To, um, oh, you got a radio voice. And that was kind of, that was cool to to hear. And then I just started to, to I started to understand the radio voice, I think maybe when I got to Howard. Because then I understood that it was, I felt like it sounded even better on a microphone. I didn't really like it like in general, but like on a microphone, I was like, oh, okay, like. I, I think I see what people are saying. This episode is sponsored by Homecoming at Howard.com, the number one homecoming event website for alumni and friends. Created by Howard alumni for alumni and friends. Subscribe now at www.
www.homecomingathoward.com and never miss an update. So, I mean, you you grew up in in PG County? I did. I did. So both my parents are from Northwest D.C. And uh, they raised me and my sister in Prince George's County, Maryland. Yep. So I I was... um, my mom went to Howard. My aunts went to Howard. So I was like a Howard baby. Mm. So my whole life I was going to the homecomings. My whole life. My dad went to Bowie State. So it was all like HBCU love. And then, and then you're in PG County and Chocolate City all the time. So um, everything around me was just like black, black, black. Man, so you saying D.C. changed a lot since. Uh... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that uh, and all my family is still in D.C. You know, I've got. So has it changed for the good or changed for the bad? As both. It's just been there because. It's both. It's both. Because um, when I got but... to Howard in 99, I remember when they were building that uh, Verizon Center that. Yeah, it, it was called MCI Center yeah. at first. Yeah, it was building that joint, that convention center. And everybody was like, oh, this is going to change everything. But, you mm-hmm. know, when, I, when we was at Howard, it was still kind of like, you know, still the hood around the area. <laughs> and I just remember you come back. I would come back like every homecoming like, damn, this is different. Damn. Yeah. You know, most recently, that whole Florida Avenue area around the towers, like, like that shit is totally different. Completely different. Yeah. And it's going to keep going. I mean, there's still cranes in the sky. Shout yeah. out to Solange. I mean, it's still... um it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep developing. There's a lot of investment in DC, but you know, what I, you know, my recollection, I mean, for me and my era, my group, um, everything was always about like Mary and Barry and Mary and Barry was all about like economic empowerment. So it was like, okay, y'all going to build these MCI center. He knew that was happening, but he kind of ensured that youth had summer jobs. He ensured that you had to employ the community, yeah. Um, I think what I notice is a difference, and it's funny. I've I've spoken to his um his wife Cora Mastersberry before about this. I think what started to happen was, yeah, you're providing jobs, but the education didn't didn't grow, yeah. right? So you can give people jobs, but if they're not positioned to get to further their education, then as an area continues to evolve. Well, now you need a master's to to survive in D.C. or you need a Ph.D. or, you know, but you didn't position the people to go beyond just getting that that basic paycheck. Um, And in some instances we did, we've seen in a lot of instances, a lot of my friends even, you know, that didn't necessarily go the college route. They got the summer job. They got into, you know, I had a part, I had a job at the Department of Justice. So like a lot of us had government jobs as kids. Like I was in my sister was in the State Department at like 15. So we had these government jobs. And a lot of times they were pathways for you to grow, you know, if you wanted to stay in that. And so I've got a lot of friends that they may not have a college degree, but they <laughs> they're high up in the government. So there was that benefit. But there were a lot of people who were you know, you were able to get them jobs, but did you train them to grow um, in their education? Did we create a culture where education became just as important as making sure that people had a check? And mm-hmm. so you start to see that with the schools, right? Did the schools evolve? So so we see development has evolved, but did the school systems evolve, you know, or how did they evolve? 
Um, those are things I would look at and all not just DC, look at it in probably Chicago where you're at or anywhere okay. else. There's probably been all this emphasis on economic growth and empowerment, but there wasn't that same importance or not, maybe, I don't want to say importance, but it wasn't the same approach or aggressive approach with making sure that that the education level began to rise too for, mm. for folks. And that's when you start getting left behind because if you only qualify to make minimum wage and minimum wage doesn't really change, look at the fight for minimum wage now. So if you're, if that's where you end up stuck at, as, as these places continue to evolve, you get further and further behind. Uh, Angie Ange 2024. So that's a tough game. That's a dirty game. Respect to, to all the politicians out there, but, um, I will gladly advise. I don't think I would run. (laughs) So what made you go to Howard being from D.C.? I'm surprised you weren't trying to to escape. No, I was. I was determined to be around white people. I was. I felt like at, at 16, and I don't know how I got this in my head, but at 16, I thought, okay, this isn't realistic. I gotta be around, I gotta find some white people. I need to be around white people so I can learn how to survive in corporate America. That's what I really thought. And so uh, my goal was to get out of the DMV and I knew I wanted to do media. So I uh, I started to look up different schools that had you know great journalism programs. Syracuse was my first pick. Um, and again, I've always been strategic. So my thought was, okay, I'm gonna go to Syracuse. It's like two and a half hours or something on a train. I think I had like mapped out in my head how I could get from upstate New York into the city, maybe on the weekends or get an internship. And then I was gonna be on TRL. Like that was kind of my game plan. Um, and I said, this will be good because now I'll be around, I'll be in a, a different environment. I'll be around white, I'll learn how to be around white people as if you can't function mm. around white people because you were around all these black people. That's like ridiculous today. Yeah. But back then, you know, as a student, like, I, I don't know where I got that from, but I just felt like that's what I needed. So I applied. Syracuse was extremely difficult to get into. I wrote five essays. They have a um, house in Georgetown. I had to go to their alumni house and interview with an alum. Wow, really? Um, yeah, I, w- I went all out. Yeah. I was determined. Yeah, I was determined. I said, I'm going to Syracuse. So I did everything I had to do. Um, and it was like my, my my uh, I guess was the SATs weren't like super spectacular, but I was a really good writer and I was very well-rounded as a student. So I could show like, I think I could just show that I had different capability. Like I'm not just going to be a one type of student. So anyway, I got into Syracuse and I was like, oh, we going like I'm going. I had my little Orangeman sticker, da, da, da. I did everything with Syracuse except look, except visit the school, which was not smart. So I had looked at the brochures. I thought whatever's on the brochure is surely what, what I'm going to see at the university. I go in they give you this kind of like welcome to Syracuse um, party. And I remember seeing a picture of a student in snow. Now I didn't know anything about New York snow. So I'm watching and the snow is like up to here. And the students like, looks like they're walking to class in that. And, And so I was like, excuse me, is this a snow day? Or like, you know, is this, is this a snow day? And she was like, I don't know what that is like snow day. 
She said, no, this is the weather here. And I was like, and y'all go to school in that? And she's like, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, no, I can't go here. Because so I can't. The strategy, though? Uh, <laughs> the strategy went out the window. Like the girl got to be warm. So there was the strategy. That was, the, that was it. We had to find another strategy. There's another route. Um, once I saw that, because I can't handle a snow day here in DC. So when that happened, I didn't understand like how much weather would impact where I wanted to go to school. I, I had no idea until I saw that picture that that was not going to be for me. So then on the list was Howard, but Howard was at the bottom because I just felt like Howard is home. Like I, I equate Howard to home. So then was University of Maryland. It was Temple University. I looked at Temple. I thought they had really good diversity. So I felt like it wasn't like super white, but it was in a, a, a neighborhood that I felt like I felt like Philly was similar to like D.C., Baltimore. Like I was like, OK, I can Philly might make more sense for me. And it's not far from New York, because remember, everything was about we got to get to New York because that's where all the media was mm -hmm. that I wanted to do. Um, so I looked at Temple. And uh, got it, uh, went there, visited, and Temple, I go into their television studio. And these are things I'll never forget because this is how I ended up at Howard. I go in did there. You, did you have somebody influencing you? Like, uh, when did you say that? When did you, when did you decide that uh, going into the school of C or, or media was going to be the play? Once I, once I decided I was going to go to Howard. So like it took me having to after Syracuse, I realized like you got to go visit the schools. You got to see the facility. When I went to Temple, I was super excited. And there was a girl there that I went to high school with and she was in their school of communication. So I'm in there and she's like, I said, when can I get started? And she was like, well, you got to be like a sophomore, at least like you don't even get an opportunity in there to like after. So after you do uh, classes, because there's just so many students. And that's what I kept seeing at other schools. Same thing happened with University of Maryland. I looked at Maryland, which was down the street from where I lived, where I grew up. But it was the same thing. Like they were saying, you know, there's so many students that it's hard to get an op it's hard to get on the radio or the TV stations. Mm. And I was okay with that until Howard. I go to Howard. I finally did a visit at Howard. I never, I had gone to Howard a million times, but never as a prospective student. I go to Howard and two things happen. One, the TV and radio stations, they both said, if you wanted to start today, you could start. So that was the biggest selling point. They were the only school that told me, if you want to start in radio right now, you can be on WHBC and you could do WHUT and you could do that as a freshman. That was the biggest selling point. Selling point number two was a guy from the school of B. I have no, I will never forget his name. I, I will never remember his name. I just remember he was in the school of B. He was light skinned. He had dreads and he was from Chicago. And when they asked him what was his favorite part about the uh, about going to Howard, he said, I love the diversity. And I'm like, where he at? Like, where he think he at? And he was like, diversity. God, like, what are you talking about? And he went on to give this really dope answer where he was saying, everybody here is from somewhere different and we're all so different. And there's so much culture here. And I never looked at Howard like that before. I looked at it like we was all the same. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, that also opened my eyes to the fact that Howard was something special. So again, Howard met all my strategic requirements. And then at that point, I also knew that if I was going to do radio, I knew I wanted to do radio in my hometown. 
So that was the other part. TV was New York. Radio was like home. And I really wanted to be on the radio where I was from. So I said, okay, if I go to Howard, they're going to sit and I can host homecoming one day. They're going to see me and they're going to want me on the radio. That was like the plan. That's and that's how I ended up at Howard. <laughs> were you ever thinking like uh, to be on camera, to be in front of the camera? Did you got to like look a certain way? Did you feel that type of pressure? Or were you just like, no, nope. they're going to accept me regardless? Yeah, I always felt like I'd be accepted. I don't think I ever. And that's the thing about, I think, being young, um, where you have a lot of support. And that's the beauty of this area, right, is we're so used to us. It's all different types of looking black people, you know, and it's I can't in D.C. when it's Chocolate City, it's like black is beautiful, like everything about black is beautiful. So you don't have that. You're not sitting there with a complex. I didn't have any sort of complexes. And I was always me. I'm always going to be me. I'm always going to have the style that I have. And I didn't think anything was wrong. I don't, you know, I I thought I was different. I didn't think anything was wrong with what, you know, with how I was. So I never even thought about that. And it never came at me like that. Um, So nobody nobody ever tried to change you or influence you like, man, we need to Mm-mm. you up or make you look a certain way that never happened no I never felt that way no if if it did I think maybe I was too young and green and in a zone to even embrace that type of um <laughs> critique maybe yeah. but I can't recall ever someone f- trying to make me a certain way I think I was always I, honestly I think people always came at me like yo you got something special you need to do this it was always like, yo, do this. I, I never got to do it this way. It was like, you're you're dope. You're good. You got a cool voice. You got a cool look. Go do this. I never felt um, anybody ever say like, you got to do it this way or do it that way. And so once I really got into radio, I mean, my love for radio came when I sat at WHBC. I was, I was out, out, up against the wall. I was like on the mic on Fridays and the GM of WHBC at the time, he see me, he walked by, he said, yo, you should come come audition for this the student radio station. I was like, cool. And I go do that. And it wasn't until I was behind the board and I'm in this room, I'm in this box by myself. See, TV is a bunch of people. It's like a crew. I was a floor director. It's a bunch of people making the production happen. Radio, it's just you. It's you, your creativity, this microphone, the board, your music and your headphones, right? So I remember I put them headphones on, I turn on the microphone, I get to play whatever music I want. I was in heaven and I fell in love with the board. I could put sound effects on the board. I could I could do things in your head that you have no idea what I'm doing, but I fell in love with the technical side of it. And I fell in love with the art of radio. And most importantly, I did all of that in my pajamas. And I said, this is the life for me. And most importantly, you, you was comfortable. You was in your zone. I was most comfortable. <laughs> so I guess before now, I'm sure if I'd have continued in television or things like that, there probably I probably would have endured a lot in terms of people trying to make me a certain way. But from a radio standpoint, what do you sound like? Do you sound good? If you sound good, no one you could look like a toad, but did you sound good? You know. <laughs> 
That's what they say. You know, you gotta they be saying you gotta you gotta face for radio. That's what I that's what I say. Look, I got the face for radio. Put me on the radio, baby. But I love I love that I fell in love with the art of radio at Howard at WHBC. And that's when I knew like I'm gonna do radio, I'm gonna do radio at home. And that became another challenge. So when you everybody said you can't Howard, like as a freshman, you know, you go from potentially going to Syracuse, which as we know, they pump out damn near either went to North, you either went to Northwestern or mm-hmm. Syracuse, basically. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, because I watch uh, a lot of sports. So, mm-hmm. all, you know, a lot of them went there. But when you go to Howard, were you surprised at the level of talent, like as a freshman? You know, because I feel like at Howard, everybody coming in as a freshman was like the top whatever in their class. Mm-hmm. Either you was like the best looking or you was the smartest mm-hmm. or, you was the brokest, the first one. <laughs> like everybody was like the first, like something special about him. Mm-hmm. And that's cool to see. It's competitive because y'all jobs don't don't pay. You know what no. I'm saying? So right out the gate, you got that resume. Like right out the gate, it's like pressure. Whereas a school of B, you could just kind of, you know, get your stuff together by the time you're a senior. Like, <laughs> you know, you just... I know people that came out of school of seats still doing stuff for free, you know. Still, yeah. That no one tells you that. I <laughs> I talk to um, you know, I talk to a lot of young people now about those things. Like sometimes in hindsight, I always think to myself, dang, I probably should have gone to school of B or minored in business. Like no one tells you like how to again the strategic approach of college and what happens after. So I majored in broadcast journalism and minored in history because I love history. Mm-hmm. But really, I probably should have been minoring in some sort of like business marketing or something like if I was. But you did the right thing, though, with the, the extracurricular stuff, you you know. I did the. I, yes. And I, sometimes I, people just think they can read a book. Yeah. And learn. it, But it's it's really you got to have that. You got to be in that moment, like you said. In that, yeah. When it's just you talking and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to have it's it's the drive, you know, for our careers in media and entertainment is not the it's not the degree. It's the drive It's do you have it? It's do the right people know you do the right people like you <laughs> like it's it's so many other things than, oh, I went to Howard. I got a degree. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the I think being at Howard, though, and being around that that type of competition, in a sense, um, it helped you to see if you could make it like I honestly Howard gave me so much confidence because I was like, if I make it here, I will be successful anywhere. I can do anything because when you get to Howard, everybody was from everywhere. I did not know we were so different. Yeah. Like I didn't know about juke music. I didn't know about chopped and screw music. All I knew was go-go, New Balance, Jordans. We wore black. We wore gray. We wore red. Like Bama's from St. Louis, the other places that came in all colorful, getting robbed, you know, because it's just like the, the cultures were so different. Right, right. And I remember that melting pot where it's like, okay, Texas, Texas folks, not like D.C. folks, not like New York folks, not like Philly folks. Everybody was different. So if you can appeal to all to Howard, you essentially, as far as I was concerned, you could appeal to everybody. I have friends from the ASA, Africa, I have friends from Trinidad. I have, you know, it was it was amazing for me. I loved it because I felt like it gave me culture. 
Mm. I did not realize how non-cultured I was, right? Being in PG Cal, you're in, we're all in our little bubbles. Think about it. Freshman year, everybody looks exactly like where they came from, exact to a T. You yeah. look like it. You talk like it. By the time all y'all graduated, most of y'all look like locals, as you called us. You know, everybody, y'all was y'all was dressing like you was from D.C. as far as I'm concerned. You're wearing all black like the rest of us. But it's, it was just like over time, like you st- that culture, we're all mixing these cultures. Right. And so we're all starting to take a little bit from each other. And that helps design you in terms of how you'll operate in the world. Because now you can you realize like people, we're not all the same. People are not all the same. Mm. So that's what I love. I never felt, I didn't, I don't think I ever felt like you was never intimidated. Not at all. And I don't I, I I loved it, you know. More importantly, I think it was just like I felt constantly pushed. I always hang with older people. So freshman year, like I was with juniors and seniors. Did freshman you know year I was around. Hmm? You went to Howard, did you have a high expectation? No, I just had a goal. I had to get on the radio. I had to get on the TV. Like I had a goal. So there was the only expectation I had was that I do the best I could do with the resources I had. I felt like Howard had all the resources. So my thought process was if I use these resources, it should put me in position to get what I want. I was already thinking about my job. So these four years was to help me get a job, basically. So when you when you come in as a freshman, you were a radio personality as a freshman. I jumped right into WHBC and WHUT. Yeah. What were you? What were you talking about? Not probably nothing. Like <laughs> I was getting because you also like I remember I think the first show they put me on they put me on like a late night show with DJ Bout it. So it was like you know and and he was um he was very much so you know like he was very confident. I think he was like from up top. So he kind of came with that, that, um, I I'm very confident in myself swag. And then, um, and then I started doing my own thing after that, but I probably wasn't talking about nothing. Like I was just, but I love music. And so I probably was playing music that I enjoyed, but I don't remember, like, I probably wasn't talking about much. And then with HUT, you had to, you were not allowed to be like an anchor or in front of the camera the first year. So the first, my first semester, I was a floor director and Larry Brown Jr. was the, um, he was the big guy. Yeah, LBJ. And I remember watching him and I'd be like, man, he's like a professional. And I would be his floor director. Larry Brown came in 18 as a grown man. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) who's this 40 year old, 18 year old? (laughs) Larry Brown was so put, it was Larry and Amy and he was so put together. And then Taryn was like our producer, our head producer, I believe, or, and so, you know, again, I'm a freshman, but I'm around these seniors. So I'm around people who are put together. So that forced me to have to put myself together if I want, because I can't hang with them yeah, if I don't have myself bad. together. <laughs> so I couldn't act like a silly freshman. So I got to be cool yeah. because I know they know more than me. And if I can just be around them, that's going to help me. So I, I I came in like more so with a goal. I had a plan. I remember my first homecoming as a Howard student. I watched, I watched Yard Fest. And I remember, I think maybe it was sophomore year, maybe that I saw Nelly, Nelly perform one year. And I was watching the stage and I'm looking at who's hosting. I'm just like, yeah, if I ho- I'm going to host homecoming. When I host homecoming, it's going to be a wrap. And then junior year, Ravi, Ravi uh, Wyndham, 
Ravi put me on oh, to um yeah she she brought me on as the host my junior year and that's when we had three six mafia we had Jeezy and I started hosting that year which I would say was maybe oh four oh five and I feel like I had the run of hosting probably until until it. it I got to a point where I had to say, like, I'm not hosting anymore. Like, I'm almost 30, guys. Like, I got, I don't know these, I don't know these, these people anymore. It's a different generation. So I hosted probably <laughs> from like 04 all the way until I was like, no more. Oh, wow. How much has media, like, changed? Because, I mean, now the most popular, like, podcasts and whatnot are, are like people that have no media training. Yeah, I you know, know. What I mean, <laughs> like that's kind of you know you watch the Joe Button podcast or mm-hmm. you know I watch Iron Your Leisure. You know mm-hmm. they were guests on your show. Um, mm-hmm. You were guest on their show. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, like you know it's almost like when you were when you were talking about how you got to Howard at first, it was like, are you gonna be a news anchor? It was like a whole population of of, of people were like just not even thought about and now that everybody has a cell phone mm-hmm. like all these other youtube and all of that anybody can be a journalist or a media yeah. personality man how much has it changed when you uh mm-hmm. take a look back at it drastically and that's part of what made me kind of um you know, leave it. And that's why I haven't really done a lot of interviews, things like that is because I'm in a different headspace. But I saw that. I mean, when I I first got into podcast stuff, when it was just like white men doing it, it was white men doing um, politics, business. And then they would do these crime shows. There's a lot of crime stuff. White women did that. Wasn't a lot of black people. And then I started to see like loudspeakers network pop up that had like Angela Yee and lip service. That's when I started to see the black ones kind of creep in there. Um, And then now to see where podcasting is today is, is tremendous. It's amazing. But that's what I loved about podcasting. I felt like it was more like wild, wild west. Um, I felt like in radio, we we're so trained, you know, it's all about the art, the theater of the mind, this and that podcast comes in and it's just about, you know, what do you say that captured talking about interesting things to you? Or it's a little bit more niche. So we went from being very broad in our speaking to now it's very niche. Everyone can talk directly to their audience because now what is a studio mic, which people would have never known this is a studio mic. Anybody can go buy it now. Right. And so for a hundred to five hundred dollars, you know, you can get a studio quality microphone tie it in the garage band and upload your show. And like you said, if it's, if it appeals to a certain group of people, you could be a star over time or within time. A lot of people don't realize that too. A lot of these podcasters, they were podcasting long before you even realized podcasting was happening. It just so happens as it became a thing, they started to get their, um, they started to get their just due. Um, Cause hell, but Joe Budden had been doing it for a while before he became like the Joe Budden podcast network. Same with yeah. um, Joe Rogan and the rest of them. Like they have been, do- I have been watching them do that stuff. Like when no one knows what podcasting is, you don't even know it's on your phone as an app. So it has changed drastically um, where I think it's just too much is everyone's talking, everyone's talking. And then the problem without the journalism side of it is you, there's no one checking the credentials. 
And that's why, like, when I was on Earn Your Leisure, I was joking with them. I was like, yeah, I would think this person lying. Like, because what are you checking? Like, how do you fact check anything? That's a Is good you, question. How, how you do you fact check? <laughs> you can't. It's hard. I mean, because unless you can fact, that's what a journalist does, right? So that's why journalism is still, in but my opinion, had, like, issue important. The like, guy, Jay Morrison or something, had, I don't know, but I I, I watched The Breakfast Club, Earn Your Lee. They all kind of tied in uh, sleepers. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you go on YouTube, it'll make you watch something else that's kind of like yeah. similar. And during the pandemic, that's when I was binging like all of these shows and mm-hmm. just kind of like getting into them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how do you fact you check? D- Somebody it's all, yeah, it's all very, um, it's just all kind of fused together now. Um, and so that was part of what made me say, OK, like, I don't know that this is a space I want to stay in because I see where it's going. And um, really? I, was, I was. Yeah, I just I didn't. You know, it's no one's no one cares anymore about credibility. And I don't want to say no one because that's not fair, but credibility isn't nearly what it used to be. You still have very credible sources, right? That NPRs or things like that cool but like in general i think like you said at this point everyone anyone can say i'm a journalist and no one's checking that no one's they have no sense of ethics no sense of what the art of the journal of journalism is like and and who cares like it did you say something that went viral is it is it interesting is the headline good like so seeing that is a for someone like me at least that's a turnoff so I did not want to keep being a part of the noise I felt like even with when I went into morning hustle and it was syndicated it was just like I felt like I just felt like I was a part of noise I didn't feel like I was a part of something that was was substantive to my community and I don't want to be that that's not my style right like I love to have fun so I love to to hype, but but we always got to be about empowerment. And if it's not empowering, then it doesn't, it's not going to be interesting to me. So it was kind of like the business of it kind of went into a direction where mm-hmm. you more or less had to be, I don't know, provocative, I guess. Not, uh, not necessarily provocative. I think it just went into more of a... Um, you know, you got to go with the trend, right? You got to you got to talk about what what folks care about or what appear, you know, again, if you look at what's trending or whatever. So, like I I don't want to talk about blue face. I don't want to talk about like though but I understand that there's an audience for that. And if the show is trying to target that type of audience, that may not be the audience for me. Did, did it become harder to be authentic like the the more I guess cuz you know like when when I mm-hmm. when I grew up, I grew up Listening to, I guess, like Biggie, Wu Tang, mm. you know, that type of era. And then as I get older, I'm still listening to Jay Z. Mm-hmm. But I could imagine being like having to be a syndicated personality, mm. having to like still be connected to like music that you're not really. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. To, you like, man, I gotta. Yeah. That's when I was like, but that, that was my, those, but those are, so there's two ways you look at it. Either you adopt it or you like embrace it and you love it or you try, you know, sometimes you'll see people still trying to keep up with it. But then someone like myself, I just felt like I had a lot more to offer than this. So 
I knew I had more to offer. So it was like, well, Ange, like you, you can't keep living 18 year old Ange's dream. Like you have been, you're, you've been investing. You've got all these other things on the table. You can do anything you want. You've got all this expertise now in branding and marketing. Um, You're very interested in digital media. Like, it was just like, what am I here? Like, I remember just sitting in there one day and thinking like, Ange, you don't have to be here. Like, you don't have to be here. So go, if you want to go, go. And I determined like I was in position where I was ready to leave. And I left and I left on great terms with the company. They understood I wanted to go in a different direction. And they let me go, which is, oh. is something else talent doesn't get. Talent doesn't get to walk away. Talent, you usually get fired. <laughs> you, you're there to, so you know. So you walked away. You made a I walked away. Yep. I walked away. And was that hard? Yes and no. No, because I was ready. Yes, because this is something that I considered the love of my life. And I felt like it was, it, it almost kind of felt like a little bit of a breakup. Like when the love of your life is y'all no longer like, y'all no longer seeing eye to eye. This is no longer your space. And, right? and we're talking about when you were, you know, like syndicated, right? Yeah, yeah. At the time. So, I was, got, it, mm-hmm. so was it a situation where, because I, I, you know, I, um, you know, I run the Howard Instagram, so immediately, um, it's kind of like I know stuff without even trying because <laughs> I read the comments on on my feed, on that feed, or whatever. Mm. So, you know, was it did, like, did you see people saying like, was a lot of people asking you, yo, did you get fired? Why you leave? Like, was it? That, no, because like, I mean, what type of energy was it when? Yeah, well, I was in control of it, so I think what. I think if you just when they fire you and you just disappear and there's no announcement, no nothing, that's when people are like, what happened? Yeah. Um, but I made an announcement. So I went like I had left, you know, uh, come Christmas time or whatever. I told them I was I was done. But then January 1st, when I knew that we were supposed to be back on the air, whenever we were supposed to get back on the air, I had already made an I had made an announcement that day. So that way, when people turn on the radio, if you don't hear me, like, first thing you're going to do is go to my Instagram. Where's she she at? And so I had a post that basically explained what it was. Mm -hmm. So no, no one. I mean, you can't ask, did you get fired? If I if the post is saying, you know, I'm leaving on my own terms, I'm thankful, I'm grateful and I'm moving in a different direction. But that's that's being able to control your narrative. So, no, I didn't get any. Did you get fired? Because. They knew I walked away because I could say that. When at what point, you know, because your, your your voice is, you know, powerful voice. Um, but at what point do you start to realize, like, man, I'm a like when you say I don't have to be here. But like, at what point do you say, man, I have a brand mm-hmm. that I got to protect, but I, I am a brand. Mm-hmm. So like I got to start being like what y'all paying me is cool. Right. But it's a stepping stone to well, like you know, I got to be smart about. Yeah. No, when we got syndicated. So like, once you go into syndication, the show is not, it's not yours. It's the company's right. So the company is going to put resources or things around to make the show what it feels like it needs to be to work at a syndicated level. Because once you're syndicated, there's multiple markets that you're in and those markets have their programmers that are going to give their opinions on what they want for their market. Um, so it became really like scripted. It became real. Like I didn't, it, it, it was, and then the way they did it just wasn't really 
um, I think conducive to the way I do radio um, or just who I am as a person. So yes, I, that was the other part. Like I felt like my brand, I'm like, yo, if I stay in this, like this is not good for my brand. It may be good for them. It may be good for their brand, but what I'm doing is not good for my brand. And my brand, like you said, it's too strong for me to, to let that go for a couple of dollars. Like you can go get these dollars anywhere now. Like the money is, the money is everywhere. So you can't, you don't want to do things for money, but yeah, I could have sat there and just ate, but I've got so much more. Like I said, I just know I had so much more to offer and I understood why they were doing things they were doing. I understood what they were trying to do. I just knew it wasn't for me and that's okay. And you got to know that you got to, if you can't walk away from your situation, um, it's that's, that's what, when it gets tough, you know, but I could walk away. I was, I could comfortably walk away because I had done there's no other level other in radio other than syndication. So it's morning show and then it's morning syndicated. Okay, where else am I going to go anyway? Mm-hmm. I checked every box. 18-year-old Ange couldn't have been happier. She couldn't have been prouder. Let's go. This was the dream. Yeah, it's like, okay, you got to the dream. Now let's go dream some other dreams. Like now you've got something to give another 18-year-old. Like now, cause I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of like guidance, you know, I, I got great mentors along the way, but like, again, there's not a lot of women to guide you. That's for sure. Cause it's, it's very male dominated. So I had the guys guiding me, which is cool, but they didn't always know what it is to be a woman in it, or they never will know what it is to be a woman in it. So I had a few women that, that really were really helpful um, along the way, but now I can be that for that next generation of talent. And I could say, okay, hey, you're doing your thing. Cool. Like, let me, let me help out, you know, or let me provide you some, some guidance. Or now again, I'm creating visions for media companies, i.e. WHUT. Now I can say, no, this is the direction we need to go in. Now I can hire people like that. I couldn't do that as a talent. Yeah. I'm like hiring folks. I'm putting people in position. I'm creating vision, you know, for, for millions of people that watch that station, that channel and we're PBS. So it's like PBS is looking for more black content. Now we can be positioning black content creators coming, bringing them through WHUT. Like I get to be a part of leading that vision because it wasn't there before. Mm. That feels way better than talking about blue face. Yeah. And we still love Blueface, though. But um, uh, yeah, you know, hey, to each to each his own. I just know know that's not my lane. I don't know anything about Blueface. It pops up on my IG all the time. Like, what are some things that maybe you're negotiating, like, fifteen years later that you aren't really thinking about when you come in? Are you like, yo, I got it picked up in my limo? <laughs> well, so those days were long gone. Uh, definitely, that would be like a Donnie Simpson golden era in radio. I feel like when I got into radio, they have been telling me since the time I graduated from Howard that radio was dying. So imagine you get into your industry and it's the conversation has always been the death of radio. Yeah. So when I first got in, they said XM was going to kill us. So at first, XM had just started and then it was serious. And then they merged. So at first, uh, satellite radio was going to be the death of terrestrial radio. That didn't happen. 
Um, then came streaming. And that was like, oh, radio is really about to die now with your Spotify's and all of that. Um, so I've been told my entire career, basically radio was dying or is going to end any day now. It's kind of like the sky is falling. So I'm just used to that. Mm. Um, so no, you don't get in that because it's a declining field. There aren't limo rides that you're about to negotiate. I focus on more on negotiating my time in radio. Radio takes up a lot of time because you got to do it every day. So in our case, they want you to work Monday through Saturday. So like things like not having to work Saturdays, that's good for my mental health. That's good for my rejuvenation over the weekend. That's good for freeing up other money outside. So I never had to fight with them a lot about money because you can get money. Like when you're on the radio, you can get money anywhere. So you don't want to fight with them so much about money. You want to fight for your time. You want time. You know, if you're sitting there fighting over money, you're going to be gone. Um, and they will. But you do. I mean, I had times where I had to, like, push a little harder for things. But my bonus structures were excellent. So I did well in bonus. Like I hit num, I could get numbers, you know? So like there are a lot of other incentives outside of your base. So you might, you might negotiate that way, which helps you get more money. Um, but no, I never really needed an agent. Um, I always did well with my money. I always was able, I always felt like I, money was in abundance because of radio. So so like, I more so fought with them about my time. Let me get time off. You need time off. So you understood like how to leverage radio to to get money outside. Correct. Okay. Because that's your biggest opportunity. Like, I don't care what they pay you on radio. Like, you can double, triple that in the street. You know, you can double, triple that um, because you have you have the power of the microphone. You're reaching so many people. And so you have the like ability to, like, to build. So like what do those do like endorsing products or is it through like hosting events? Like yeah, all of the above, all of the above. You host, you um, you can host. I mean, I started a nonprofit. College is cool. Like I started my own businesses. Like I mean, you do all that and leverage your name and leverage your your skill set in those spaces. And so, um, I spent a lot of my career setting up what I'm doing today. Like I've had I, I had college is cool over ten years. Um, I start, I have a consulting company. Like, I mean, I just have all kinds of like, it was just like, you, you can do anything because outside of them four hours that I'm on the air, the rest of the time is kind of mine. I hear you talk a lot about investing and I, I know that you got mm -hmm. a, a restaurant. Um, mm -hmm. what are some investments that you could, you know, talk about? Sure. Yeah. Miss Toya's Creole house. So I've, I, so to go back from an investing standpoint, um, my aunt is a financial advisor and I always like knew I was, I wanted to have a lot of money. So I used to work for her when I, she was, she gives every, she owns her own company, Homes and Associates Financial, and she's owned it for over 30, 40 years. So all of my cousins and me, we all, our first job was at Aunt Karen's. So I used to work in her uh, office. And I'd have to put a bunch of data in and all that, like boring stuff, numbers, desk job. I knew that wasn't for me, but I knew I wanted to make money. So I would talk to her often about how, how can I be a millionaire? Like I would just say, what, what do I got to do to be a millionaire? She would always just say, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. That's what she would always tell me. I had no idea. Like, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I ain't making no money. Like, 
can't keep what I don't make, you know. <laughs> um, but she would teach me. So I would be like, you know, uh, I'm gonna buy houses, I'm gonna flip houses, I'm gonna do this. And she'd be like, well, she's like, you could do that, or you could invest in this REIT over here, which is a real estate investment trust. And so I was like, what's a REIT? You know, and that was one of my first investments that I did with her. And then I opened a mutual fund and then they taught me about 401ks. And so I I was doing these things when I was like 23, 23 to maybe 26. And at first, and then we were in an economic downturn, like everything was bad. And then I bought a house, like all kinds of stuff, you know, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I just followed my aunt's advice, pretty much. My aunt and my dad are both financial advisors. So the crazy thing is by the time I'm 30s, in my 30s is when you start to see what's called compound interest and mm. accumulation. You, do, you don't see that when you're first doing it or you don't have a lot of money. And so you're thinking like, I'll never reach you know this amount or I'll never hit these goals because I don't have much. But as my career grew, and as I began to, as my tax bracket grew, you got to start finding more. Then I started to understand what she was saying, because the more I got hit for taxes, that's when it's not what you make, it's what you keep starting to kick in because I'm paying so much out in taxes. So I had to learn about, you know, how to properly manage my money, how to properly shelter my money from taxes, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I have been investing for a long time, but through products. And then I wanted to invest in entrepreneurs. So what I saw was like a lot of our entrepreneurs, because I learned, you know, a lot of my entrepreneurs, they've got these great opportunities, but they don't have capital and they can't get a loan from the bank. And so I started to partner with people and provide capital for their ventures, if it made sense or if it was something that I was interested in. And we became partners. So I would do partnerships with different people. Um, and that taught me a lot. And then I kept growing and I've, I've always been doing that for years. And um, yeah, I wanted to get into hospitality. So Jeff Mascari, who owns multiple restaurants in D.C., he owns Po' Boy Gems, Creole on 14th, um, Sugar and Spice. He owns, he owns multiple restaurants. Um, during the pandemic, we got an opportunity in downtown Silver Spring. It was a class A space. Um, and I wanted to see us as a black business be put in a class A space. Um, and so I had my money ready. Um, we had an opportunity. We we went in on it together and um, we've, we've opened it and it is booming. It has gotten so much love, support. Um, and I'm, that's a great venture for me. But I've been I, I have another one that I'm looking forward to is a young lady who's a fashion designer out of Detroit. She has a uh, deal with Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, and that's another situation where it's just like, okay, she's got this opportunity, but sometimes you might need, I always say capital, credibility, and um, um, you know, those are those are what I offer. That's what I lend. Capital and credibility and credit. So where did, where did your um, business acumen come from? Was it from, it sounds like your dad. Oh, no. Yeah, probably. Oh. Um, my dad, but I was, it's just something I always, I've always been in, into business um, and I didn't even go to the school of B. That's what's crazy. So like when I first got into radio, I think what, what, when I really started to be more business aware outside of creative, just wanting to be creative was when I got LASIK eye surgery for free. And that happened my first year in radio. 
And this, I saw the morning show, the syndicated morning show, which was Russ Parr. They had um, Frida's and Shaquana. They had both got free LASIK eye surgery. I said, how y'all get that? And I wore glasses and contact. How y'all get that? They said, yo, we, we did a commercial and they gave it to us for free. I said, what? So I said, yo, put me with the account exec. So they took me to the salesperson. Her name was Brooke. I said, Brooke, please, like, how can I get this LASIK? Because LASIK at the time was like $5,000, you know? So I said, yo, what I got to do? And then that was the first that she said, do a little mock-up commercial. So I did I did a little fake commercial. The agency loved it. Um, and they gave me the LASIK eye surgery. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a business. Like, I'm not just, I'm not just on here having fun. Like this is business. So then I started hanging out in the sales department. When I started hanging out in the sales department, then I got with the head of sales. When I started hanging with the head of sales, then I started hanging with the general manager of the whole cluster. When I started hanging with her, she talking about stocks and all kinds of stuff. She took a liking to me. So I stopped hanging out with the creatives. I was like, let me go hang with the suits so I can figure out how are you selling me? Right. So then I would be like, let me get involved in that process because I know me better than y'all. Yeah. So then I started learning how to sell myself. Then so they want they wanted that because it's like it helps them. So I've always been into the business when I saw that the people who was making all the money was not us. They weren't the creatives. We get and you might think you're doing good. Go go hang out with the executives. Right. If we got number one, okay, everybody go to Dave and Buster's. When I start hanging with the executives, I'm eating at the palm for lunch. Yeah. That was lunch. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I'm like, wait. Just a day in the life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here I am thinking Dave and Buster's is a treat. Whole time they over the, again, general manager. We went down downtown in her Porsche. Like, I'm like, dang. So that's what I think that for me was what attracted me to like learn the business that you're in. And as I started to learn that, as I learned my radio business, that got me interested in all kinds of other businesses. But I know I'm not an operator. I know I don't want to be doing a whole bunch of work, but I knew how to save money. I know how to make money. I know how to invest money. So, you know, those are things. Now I get to go on these ventures and learn new businesses without having the pressure of trying to run a restaurant because I can't run it. Yeah, the operation is run by my partner, but I get to be a part of now the hospitality space. Now I'm learning that, but I don't, but I, I'm not going to be the one, you know, I'm not in there having to function everything, but I can learn from the entrepreneur that I'm supporting. How do you stay humble given that you kind of, like, I'm not saying it was an overnight success, but you did Mm -hmm. college, you kind of like, you was hitting your checklist like right away. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you was in like, you know, Pukatan, mm-hmm. you know, Maryland somewhere like. Yeah, you know, you no. Did, did your thing. Like, how do you stay humble? Because I know I I reached out to you when you was, you know, Angie Ange, and you just was like, yeah, I, I could do it. You know, <laughs> of course. And, and it wasn't even the thing like you was like, how much is, how much we agree on again? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you was like, how much you posted yet? Like, I'm like, yo, where can I send the your money? You was just like, oh, yeah, send it. Yep. This is like, get it like, done. You know, she just. Yeah, I keep it. You know what I'm, I'm simple. Yeah, I, I'm a simple soul. I think I'm always going to be a simple soul. Like, and again, I think what is unfortunate is women don't, we don't get the opportunity and media to like poke our chest out. 
we don't get you don't get that they try it you know try it and they they will ruin you out here and think not think twice about it because there's so many hurt men in position of power hurt by some woman that 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 did better than them that they will stop at nothing to put a young woman in her place so I don't know. I just don't think I ever got the same opportunity to be um, an egomaniac like male counterparts get that get the, the praise to do that or get the pass to do that. Um, I think they're constantly with women trying to make sure that you don't you don't think you're bigger than a man. I think they deliberately place us with men and make us co-hosts instead of leads and you're constantly doing, you don't really get a lot of time, I guess, to be like, yeah, I'm the shit because they, there's just a constant, like, don't, don't think that, you know, let's, oh, you think you good. Oh, you think you a diva. Let's knock that out. You know, because again, because some hurt man, you know, Wendy Williams probably outdid them or so-and-so outdid them. It's, It's usually a woman, another woman, made it and they didn't and now it's like you know any woman they see it's like death to you so So i don't know i don't that's a good um point (laughs) when i think about women who have done it at a high level on the radio i mean you got angeli you got wendy williams i can't really think of too many and angie martinez oh yeah um, martinez and angie martinez is one I give her props because she doesn't have to be like salacious, you know. Mm-hmm. Not yep. saying there's nothing wrong with that. Like I like a feel of Wendy Williams, you know. Of course. But at the same time, I know if I was a guest on her show, I'd be like, uh, "What's she gonna?" <laughs> say? You know what I'm saying? But it seems like Angie Martinez really gives people a space to feel comfortable and kind of gets the best out of her, uh, her, her, her guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. She was when I studied, like I studied Angie Martinez um, when I was in like high school and college because I modeled myself. She was the voice of New York. So I was like, okay, I want to be the voice of the DMV. And we both got the same name. So I'm like, yeah. And and like you said, I always liked her style because it was genuine. She always seemed like the home girl. She seemed like people could trust her. So that was what I wanted for myself as a talent. I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a voice and a person that anybody could just, you know, feel like we're cool. So I feel like her personality was very similar to what my personality would be if I wanted to be on radio in my hometown, you know? So I studied her. I studied her interviews. I always thought her interviews were really good because like you said, she wasn't going for the kill. She wasn't going for salacious. She goes to make you comfortable and then like, let you just do your thing. Like she just makes you very comfortable and then you start saying stuff. Um, but there is a place for all of us, though. That's the thing. You can, what I wanted to see for women in radio and even for myself in radio was not being typecast. Like, I didn't want to be either a gossip girl or the rapper girl or, you know, like I wanted to be able to be, Russ Park could go from joking to serious to educational and informative to rapping a song. He could do that, and no one thinks twice. But with women, yeah, it's like our show for like. I mean, that show was dope for like a. It was. For, it, it, was. it was like that show was like. I remember coming from Chicago and then hearing. Russ Park, <laughs> like, Damn, 
Like he, he was, he get, yeah. yeah he was, it, the show was dope. You know, it had layers. Like men get that opportunity to have layers as talent, right? They're not put into a box of any sort. And women, it's always like, well, what what type of women are you? Like, what what what? Where do we put you? And and how do we how do you compliment the man essentially? And it's like. Damn, maybe I want to. Why can't I talk about all these things? Why can't I go from gossip to love and relationships to politics to why can't I talk about everything? Is it is it hard to ask like personal questions sometimes with like celebrity? I mean, because if I'm a listener, it's certain questions I want you to ask. Totally. Certain people. So it's like you got to have integrity as a journalist. If yes, you know, if they even if it's a personal question. You know, is it hard to ask those type of things? Like, do they say, yo, question is off limits? But you like, damn, like my audience really want to know, and I, I can't yeah. too. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Two folds. I say, yeah, you, you always want to be respectful because you got to build relationships. So unless you know, it's different from like, especially depending on the market you're in. The market you're in will depend, and the relationship you have with the artist will kind of determine what you can and can't do. So when if an artist knows you or feels comfortable with you or you guys have worked together, they might give you more than an artist who doesn't, who's just seeing you as a jock in in a market that they got to promote. So you have to kind of be respectful and understanding. And then I would always try to just talk to them and again, get them comfortable where they'll start saying things themselves. You know, Um, what I will say from a syndicated morning show perspective, my co-hosts, that's when I kind of. That was the beauty of having a co-host like a L'Oreal who like she'll jump all the way out the window. So you could kind of play a different role. So like I would always know when her and I would do interviews, it was like, I remember we interviewed the city girls. Like we know how this is going to go. I'm going to I'm going to lead it. I'm going to be the nice guy. I'm going to you know, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to ask them, you know, probably safer questions or more informative questions. And I know she's going to go for the gusto. And then I've got to turn that around, you know, or try to, you know, bring it back. So sometimes, like you said, at the end of the day, you know, your audience wants to know these things. But some people, some talent, they're bold. They're going to jump out there. They're not worried about what what it could do to the relationship. Others, um, you know, you just you might play it a little more safer or you'll find other ways to get them to let their guard down. Or you'll find a different angle to make it more interesting anyway. So it just depends on my relationship with the artists, my relationship with the labels. And then again, from a syndicated morning show perspective, we had a team where everybody had different roles. So. I remember when that guy, Torrey, I think he had R. Kelly on and he mm. asked him like if he asked if he liked teenage girls. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then yeah. I, and so I was like, damn, that's a that's a great ass question. Yeah. And I'm sure R. Kelly's people probably didn't want that question to be asked, but I'm like, everybody wants to know that question. But I remember also when Fabulous came on the the Breakfast Club and it was like a video of him like beating his girl. Mm -hmm. They didn't even address it. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And Mm -hmm. I was like, man, how y'all not even going? Because of the relationships, the time is about At least bring it up (laughs) like, man, like, I don't like it seems like. I mean, I know the relationship isn't, but how how can a relationship be that important where you don't address something like like that? You know what I'm saying? It mm-hmm. just like you're just gonna let him promote his music, 
<laughs> like, okay, what he did was wrong. He could be forgiven, blah, blah, blah. But you still got to, he, he beat her up on video. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, and sometimes they can't say things because of the legal, whatever legal trouble they may be in or legal ramifications where they're not going to say anything on radio or they could, you know, put themselves in a bad situation. So, but then it also, again, it comes down to relationships. So if that's your friend, like think about it like that. if you interviewing your brother yeah. and that's somebody that you love or you care about or whatever the case is. Um, it's a good point. And they say, yeah, yo, can you stay away from it? Right. It's like, yo, I know, I know, I know what it is, but could you just let me handle it? I got to handle this over here. Could you, could you stay away from it? Are you still going to be like, so tell us about this video, yeah, yeah. not to your man, not to somebody you love and respect or have a legitimate relationship with, or maybe you know more about the situation or can't just can't speak to it. That's a good point. So, a lot of things always come down to relationships because you got to figure out, again, you willing to be blackballed or are you willing to be, you know, silenced? Are you, I mean, this again, everybody can't get away that's, with that's everything. A, that's a real thing, huh? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be, a, yeah. Like, you don't want, you gotta be careful about, you know, if a label or an artist or whatever, if they're very clear about saying, Hey, like, can we not go here? Can we not go there? You have a choice as a talent. Either you could say, well, no, I don't want to do the interview. You could always decline the interview and say, well, if I can't ask what I want to ask, I'd rather not do it. That's one option. Yeah. But if you agree to do it and you're going to be ethical, then you have to respect it. And you might just have to find another way to say what you want to say or get what you want to get or just take the the yeah. a whole different Even, uh, angle. What's that show? Uh, Drink Champs. When... Um... Nori had Kanye on and he didn't address <laughs> certain issues that Kanye had said about the black community. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I get it. They had a relationship, so he probably didn't feel too comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. bringing that up. But then he got killed in all his comments and saying, oh, you know, you will sell out for not asking the question. So, but yeah. yeah, that's the ramifications, though. That's I mean, now and that's part of like this world that we're in, like people can give you immediate feedback. Um and you you got to take the hit. You got to be responsible. And I think um, either you stand on it or you apologize and 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 go and try try to make it up to your your audience. So, but that's the world we're in now. Like people gonna call you out, good, bad, or otherwise. You know, it's not much you could do about that. Before we wrap, I want you to you know I didn't get a chance to ask too many questions about the uh, your role with with Howard being director of content, and of course mm -hmm. I want you to talk about uh. College is cool, but mm -hmm. how did the opportunity with Howard come about uh, being director of content? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what's your vision for sure. uh, QT? Yeah, I had, um, when I left Radio One, I had brought a podcast over to WHUR called Homegrown. And um, Homegrown was going to basically be like us telling our stories, like OGs that started um clothing lines and record labels and you know just the store as as we see chocolate city becoming more non-chocolate city you know we have this really dope history and we have these dope stories that i think um i wanted us to be able to tell and whur has such a history in the community so i had brought the podcast over there i was doing it they let me use the studios and 
You know, I was using their talent and putting it together. And the general manager and I, we went to Howard together, Sean Plater. And so they have now put Sean over WHUR and WHUT. And so, you know, Sean and I, one day we're just talking and he's like, yeah, I, you know, WHUT could really be something special, man. I just got to get the right people in place. And he said, and we're just talking. And he said, yeah, I put up a position for director of content. And so I said, hey, what, what is the position? Can you send me the position? Let me look at it. So I'm looking at it and it, it checks off all the boxes of, of what I'm either, what I want to do or what I'm currently doing in some capacity, which essentially is you're creating a vision for the station. You're coming up with new ideas and concepts. You're putting people in place and you're helping to create the brand of the station. Um, and you're determining basically what's going to go on TV, right? What are we going to put on WHUT? Um, and what shows can you get? You're basically out here, you know, bringing in new relationships, um, helping new independent producers. So you have um, a, you have a budget you work with? I have a budget. We have budgets. We've got, you know, uh, WHUT is the only historically black college to own a PBS license. That's huge. You know, that's huge. No other HBCU got that. So what is that license you to do as a person who don't know? So yeah, no, basically it's a dumb question. No, no, absolutely. No, it, it it basically means we're like a PBS station, but we in charge, you know, <laughs> like, like so. why is that like something special? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like in the realm mm -hmm. of like what, what does PBS mean to media, you know? Media? Yeah, PBS is one of the most trusted media platforms and media, right? So you've got your NPR. When you look at who do you trust for like information, mm -hmm. um, it would be your NPRs and your PBSs. PBS is is public TV, right? So it's about it's being able to reach the masses locally um, and being able to reach them like like that type of to be an HBCU in a position to have the type of reach that they have with a television station is huge. Most TV stations, you don't have much radius. You don't have much reach or it's like in-house or it's just amongst the you know, it's amongst uh, the university. We have a signal that is reaching over two million homes every day. We so have you're the, in, so you're in charge of all the content? Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So, but the here's the the problem is PBS don't have a lot of black content. So if we're trying to target black people, but we're using the PBS catalog, what you putting on? <laughs> so if you look at WHUT right now. I don't find it to be much of a reflection of the audience that we're targeting. But the good thing is we're able to create our own programming. So we produce our own shows um, and we can bring on third party content. So let's say Josh got a show. You got a TV show, right? Where are you going to put it? YouTube? Now that's good. Cool. It's on YouTube. But let's say you need another outlet to put your stuff on. You could... We get it on WHUT. Um, let's say now you want it to be national. Okay. We get you plugged in with NIDA. We get you plugged in with American Public Broadcasting. We get you plugged in with PBS. Now your, your show is in a catalog that's nationwide on all other PBS channels, potentially, if it gets picked up. You know, we can help you with the funding of the project, things like that. That's really what 
makes WHUT extremely powerful is that it's supposed to be a service to creators, essentially, and a service to the community. So is it, um, so now with you being in this role, you have like aha moments, like, man, that's why the execs was acting like that. Oh, 100%, 100%. Now I know why it was hard. Like, you know, before, because again, as a radio personality, it's all about you. It's always all about you. You're always in your own head. The world revolves around you. Um, but as an executive, literally my phone's going off nonstop. Emails coming in. I feel like I got to think for everybody, you know, or did not, you know, you, you <laughs> make a lot of decisions. You got it. When people ask you questions, you like. Yeah, you're making a lot of decisions, <laughs> right? So, so if I have to make major decisions with regards to budgets, vision, direction, if I, if those are decisions I'm making every single day and you calling me because somebody got on your nerves or you calling me because you're not happy about something silly or because so, so-and-so rubbed you the wrong way or so-and-so didn't give you what you wanted in the time you wanted. I ain't got time. Mm-hmm. Like figure it out. You know, it's kind of like figure it out. So now I kind of, I see that definitely is that. And the, and the other thing I noticed is there's a huge difference between leadership and management. And a lot of times you could be a good leader, but a bad manager. And there are times when you could be a really good manager, but you're a bad leader. In both scenarios, you won't, you're not going to move your team forward. In executive leadership, I'm only going to be as good as my team, right? And sometimes you come into it and you didn't get to pick these folks. That's okay. So now you've got to spend time to influence them. You got to spend time to gain their trust. You have to spend time to get them to see your vision. And not everybody's going to buy into it. So then you've got to figure out how to manage all that. So there's the leadership element. And then there's the management element, which requires organization. It requires good communication, right? So you could be a great leader. Everybody look up to Angie. Yeah, we love Angie. We love Angie. But if Angie's not organized and communicating what she needs done, she's not being a good manager. So you might like her, but she's not giving you direction or she's not leading you because she's not a good manager. Vice versa. I've seen people who are really good at management. They, they're well organized. They know how to put a play together, but they're poor leaders. You know, they don't know how to influence the team. They don't know how to motivate the team. They don't know how to be good people to these people. Mm-hmm. But they know how to manage some stuff. They know how to put a play together. But do you know how to, to get everybody on board? So where I'm at right now with WHUT and, and what I see in this opportunity was I want to be a great leader. But I also realized that in an executive leadership role, you also have to be a great manager. And that is the opportunity that I have is to be able to not just be a great influence and help people, all that good stuff, but to really get my organizational skills tight and Mm. sound and really get uh, systems, systems, processes. Like, again, you could be a great leader. If you don't know how to create systems and processes where they don't exist, you're not going to be a good manager. So it won't matter. This episode is sponsored by homecomingathoward.com, the number one homecoming event website for alumni and friends. Created by Howard alumni for alumni and friends. Subscribe now at www.homecomingathoward.com and never miss an update. You know, I've, I've been in business for 12 years now, and I, I've learned 
the hard way that the more involved I am in my business, the the less valuable the business is. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to function without me. I want to be able to sell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if if I try to sell it, and they like, well, you're the thing that's keeping us going. I don't. Yeah. I don't be that. Thing. You don't want that. Yeah. yeah. So that's a tough place to be in. That that I felt I feel that way as well, which is why it's like. Don't wrap it. And we see that a lot with black businesses, too, which I think is 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 um, concerning to me is like why black businesses it always got to be a face. I got to see the person, you know, where I see plenty of businesses where there's no you don't know who's behind it oh, and yeah. you don't care. But then with All us, it becomes like your brand is made and broken on on who you are. I don't. And, and again, we're humans. We're flawed. And the way cancel culture works, you make one wrong move, you say one stupid thing, which is very possible because you're a human. And now, you know, they will tear your whole brand down, your whole restaurant down, your whole whatever business apart in in seconds, you know, just with comments and things. So I do think like we have to think more about being able to build up. That's why I built a lot. It's so many platforms that I've built up and you and I never put my name on it. I never put my name on it. There's so many people I've supported and backed and helped build. I never put my name on it Mm. because I don't want that to be why it's successful. Mm. And I want to be in a, I want to have that flexibility to still move as I want to move, but support the things I want to support, you know? So I do it all the time. Yeah. You got to drop a book, Andrew. You drop it all all through this joint. I need a book. One day, one day, that's what I said. I try not to, I don't like to talk a lot because I do talk a lot. Um, and because I think I'm not done. I'm I'm still learning so much. Like I've learned a lot, but I'm still learning so much. And um, I learn a lot through observation and doing. So right now I'm in like doing mode. And I'm so just what like, about, uh, yeah. You got any failures? Plenty. And I, I mean, listen, you if you're an investor, you can't be an investor and act like you ain't got failure. You know how many I don't have more failures than wins. It's just, it, you know, think of it like so if you're an angel investor, for example, you invest in 10 businesses knowing that eight out of the 10, the 10 will fail. You know that. The hope is that one or two will do so well that they cover the losses of the eight or nine. Yeah. So if Miss Toya's is is a big hit, great. There were five other hits that either lost or broke even or what have you. Um, so yeah, there are failure. And same in my management walk, like in my executive leadership space. Some days I feel like I'm a great leader, but then I'm like, damn, but you a terrible manager. And then there's other days I'm like, dang, I managed that well. But then I'm like, dang, your leadership on it was bad. You know, so like I fail a lot. I fail all the time, I feel like. But it's like I'm learning each time. So it's like my thing is, did you get back up, though? But did you get back up? Did you learn from it? Did you try again? If you fail or you lost money or whatever the case is, did you just throw your hands up and say this isn't for me? Or did you say, okay, I lost that money, but what did I learn? What did I gain out of it? And how will I make a better decision next time? Before we close out, can you just talk to me about um the, the college is cool and uh, sure. what that's about? 
Yeah, I started college is cool. I think back in 08, 09, it was while I was on the air. Uh, it's my nonprofit organization. I got to redo the website. So all you website people out there, I got to get my website back up. Um, it went down on me for a while because I changed. Before, initially, college is cool. We were all about exposing young people to the collegiate experience. And that's because I would go to the schools and I'd be raving about Howard. Who want to go to Howard? Who going to college? And I'm like 23, 24. And the kids would look at me and they'd be like, I'm going to be Gucci man. I'm about to be America's Next Top Model. Everybody was going to be a model because that was the popular show. It was either Gucci man or America's Next Top Model. And I'm like, damn, I'm a part of pushing this narrative, right? Because I'm on the radio. So I'm playing the music. I'm pushing the culture, you know? And I was like, it made me feel kind of crazy. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do to like give these young people something else? Um, so I created College is Cool. We started doing programming in Southeast DC, Anacostia Senior High School. We created a fast. So we basically used all the elements of the things they wanted to expose them to college. So we took kids who had very low GPAs. They had They were not prospective college students at all. We created a little fashion club for them and we started to educate them on the college process. Um, and we started to expose them. And then we would take them on local trips. So we would take them, um, we would take them to uh, Morgan State, Bowie State, Howard, uh, Community College. We went down to Hampton and Norfolk and you know places like that that weren't that far, but just to give them something different. So we started off with programming. When the programming became too much, because radio became too much for me, because again, it was all wrapped around me. That's when I first started to learn, like, don't don't have your business wrapped around you, where if you don't move, it don't move. Right. Mm. Um, that's when I kind of transitioned out of programming and started looking at the financial side of what was going on with college. So, like, for instance, a lot of my young my students would think, OK, if I take a class, right. Or I, I did a semester, but I dropped out. It's over. No, you still owe money for them classes. You're still in debt. You still got loans. You got to pay that back whether you graduated or not. So I started leaning more towards the financial education element and financial planning for college, which then led me to create funds. So I have a scholarship fund, Charlie Wilson Scholarship Fund, which is named after my grandfather who passed away from Alzheimer's. He's very big on education because he only had a um, elementary school education. So um, he was very big on that. And um, we created a scholarship fund after named after him. Mm. Um, and so we each year we've been giving money to students, you know, anywhere between small. Do we do small things and we do like a last dollar scholar. So we do up to twenty five hundred dollars. But then we also do last dollar scholar where some of our students had um, they were threatened to. Uh, Maybe they had a, a, a balance on their loans or they had a balance, but it may have been like $700. And if they didn't pay it, they would be kicked out. Um, so we've done things like that for students who are like, it's an emergency basically, or they're going to be kicked out. Sometimes we'll we'll provide that up to a certain amount. That's what's up, man. Angie Ange has been a great guest. Thank I, you. I appreciate you coming on the show, man, and dropping these gems. Thank you. I'm looking for big things coming from uh from the TV station and just you in general. Thank you. The media mogul that, that God put you on earth to be. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm I am truly blessed. I'm very happy. I really um I'm really thankful for my career and I owe so much to my experience at Howard. And I'll never 
I will always want to give back to Howard in any capacity I can because it was my springboard to my dream. And it was everything I needed and more to reach that dream. If it was not for a Howard University, for the network I have, even look at us, like how long we've been out of Howard and we, and you can hit me and it's like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Like that type of bond and relationships and nourishment that Howard gives even after like our network of people, we are so powerful. And I am thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you gave me the opportunity to be on this, on this platform, on this show. You know, anytime you want to do brunch karaoke, I'm down. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's do it again uh, at some point. And yes, please come to Miss Toya's in downtown Silver Spring. Show us some love. And yeah, just keep up with me, man. Right now with HUT, like I said, my goal is to bring on more programming um, that looks like us and to funnel that through. And it's interesting because the actually the head of audience engagement, she's a Howard alum, Taryn, who oh, that's who we started to get. So wow. again, that that network, that connection, now she's helping me and she's supporting my efforts, right? So now again, WHUT is gonna continue to get amplification that it never got before, just off the Howard connection. Yeah, yeah. And that's what this is all about. We can, we make moves together. And I, I look forward to continuing to make moves with more and more HU alum. And I hope that we all continue to reach back and help other young alum or students, current students. Like, let's be open to them. Let's support them. Let's follow their pages. Let's help them, you know, let's help them when they graduate too, because there's there were people that helped us when we graduated, so. Thank you for joining the HU Movemaker Podcast, where we highlight folks that have contributed to the Howard legacy at the highest levels. To hear more interviews or purchase merchandise, please visit www.humovemakers.com.